Hello, sports fans. I'm Bart Steinberg, and I am nuts about sports. Coming up, I'll be joined by my partner, Anthony Rowe. We're going to talk baseball. We'll start off uh, its midseason. Well, a little past midseason, but it's the All-Star break. We're going to talk about the White Sox, what a successful season they are um they're having and uh and what the second half looks like for them we'll talk about the cubs who are going to be engaged we would imagine in a sell-off uh in fact between the time uh, we recorded this and the time we're putting it out they've already dealt jock peterson who was one of the few players we mentioned who they uh who we didn't mention that they might trade we'll get into some of the uh more favored stars and and what's been going on with them and and how uh things might be rebuilt on the north side uh, after that, we'll talk about the NBA and uh, the terrific uh, and highly competitive Game 4 that was wrapped up on Wednesday night. Um, that series sits at 2-2, so Anthony, I'll get into that. Thanks a lot for listening. We really hope you enjoy the show. All right, as promised, all the way from Glenview, Illinois, it's Anthony Rowe, my friend and partner. Hello, Anth. Hi, Bart. Hello from the flatlands of Illinois. Indeed. Remember Indeed. when you used to live in the flatlands of Illinois? Oh yeah, I remember yeah. it well. I remember yeah. it well. We're uh, we're we're not only are we uh, by not my not by continental, but by what would it be? We're we're in different time zones. There's probably a, a, a fancier way to say that. Definitely, there's a fancier way than you just said it. <laughs> but for not sure house or the not, other not any longer so uh Do you want to tell them why bart i yeah 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 i uh as you as listeners may have heard and it's been a while since we've done a podcast and there's some good reasons for that uh we hope to get back with you a little bit more regularly now listeners but i have moved uh this is this is still a chicago sports podcast uh Kidding aside, that we've done uh, on some recent shows, that we're going to turn this into a uh, into a Rockies podcast, still a Chicago sports show um, that dabbles in pop culture. But I and my husband Dan have moved to Fort Collins, Colorado, so that's where I'm. Anthony's speaking to you now from from Fort Collins. Pretty wild. That's cool. And the move went well. It did. It was as well it, as it, one it, could expect. Yeah, I mean, it, it was it was crazy. Honestly, it was uh, we. We drove cross country twice. We have two cars. We moved with my mom, uh, who is living in nearby Loveland, Colorado. Um, and so we drove out here with all our stuff and our two cats and then flew back to Chicago a week later and drove out here a second time uh, with my mom's cat. Uh, and in between, we're selling a condo and we're settling two different apartments here in Colorado. So honestly, it's been nuts, but it's been really fun and and need to, of course, go through it with Dan. So it's been great, but it's been pretty pretty exhausting. And uh, about the only thing I've done non-house related uh, is watch the NBA. So at least I've got that going for me. That's good. Got to carve out time for that. No question. No question. And this has been a momentous time for you, too, this kind of hiatus that the podcast has been on. You've had some yes. fun stuff go on in your world. Tell us about that, Ian. Well, um, I'm married to my trophy wife, Audrey. That's her description. Um, of herself and uh, my daughter Olivia who is 25 and my son Davis who is 17 live with us and the four of us have been in this house together you know since the beginning since before the pandemic but during the pandemic just living on top of each other for about a year and a half and now the world is opening up and and so is uh, and that is the true that is true for our family too Uh, my daughter got uh, finished her master's degree and has her teaching degree 
and she got her first teaching job. She'll be teaching fifth grade in Mount Prospect, Illinois, at at the very literary-sounding Robert Frost Elementary School. Yeah. Um, so we're very excited about that. And she uh, got approved for an apartment, so she's going to be moving out. Uh, she's going to be living in Evanston. So breaking news since I talked to you on the phone this morning. Yes. Great. Uh, she got approved since we talked this morning. <laughs> Great. Great. And my son Davis graduated high school, and he is going to Lake Forest College here in the north of Chicago. And he'll be moving out uh, August 20th, so we're going to go from just being on top of each other to Audrey and I being empty nesters. Wow. Since 1995 that Audrey and I were just two people living together. Yeah. What will you start over by having more kids? No, God, no. (laughs) It's no. not a true story. I, I love having kids, but yes. when you're 16, when you're in your 60s, yeah, you don't want to be doing that again. I guess, but it hasn't stopped Hugh Hefner. He's got trophy wow. wives and he's he's pumping them out right and left. Yeah, and tell me how much time Hugh Hefner is spending actually being a parent. <laughs> well, that's really exciting stuff for you guys. That's gonna be pretty neat to be. I mean, uh to be, I, I guess that I guess it's empty nesters, right? That's what it is. I mean, you're, you're, Davis is going to be close by, and, and and Olivia will too, which is really nice. They're going to be. Yeah, within, I don't know uh, if it. I don't know if it fits the official definition right. of empty nester. Right, but as empty nesters, you need to be. You love your kids, and that's going to be great that they're nearby. Yeah, but you got to kick them out of the nest. I, well, that's in true. Olivia, in, in Olivia's case, she is leaping out of the nest. Right. Wings outstretched. Right. Face into the wind, ready to go. Davis, there's he wants to go, but there's also a little nudging as well. I see. It's there's no truth to the rumor that Olivia hasn't given you her new address, is there? I mean, you know where she is. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, her mom helped her pick it out, pick it out. So good. Good. Well, that's exciting, man. Exciting for you guys, and and we're super excited to be out here in Colorado. It is beautiful. If you're gonna move somewhere different, it should be really different, Mm -hmm. right? And this place is really different it's really beautiful uh wake up in the morning clear sunny and like 65 degrees and by about uh, one o'clock it's uh 95 degrees so it's it's really wild but it's beautiful and i, I love it but it's a dry heat right <laughs> that's the old joke it, it kind of is true here i think in arizona when, when it's 115 then you can call bullshit uh it is true i mean let's put it this let's put it this way it's a dry heat. 90 is tolerable here 96 hot but i feel like 90 in chicago at this point is kind of intolerable because of how humid it is so um the fact that it's uh so arid out here it's it's different it's very different and that's why that's what allows it to cool down so much overnight and in the mornings too so it's good cool yeah so amp the Sox. uh we're at the all-star break as we record and the white Sox are 54 and 35 they are doing great uh they're eight games up on cleveland you know, they're virtually assured of making the playoffs, uh, not only because they're playing so well, but because that division is so lousy. But 54 and 35 by any measure, a terrific right. record. I want to go behind that record with you uh, in just a minute. But before I do that, I certainly want to say um, I want to offer up a uh, I don't I don't I don't feel an apology is warranted. or I'm not I'm not going to call it that, but I'm going to call it something. Oh, I'm going to no. I'm going to call it a you were right uh, in that. I still feel like La Russa, Tony La Russa was not the best choice for this team. But you definitely stood by your guns and said, you know, why, why, why couldn't he be a very good choice for this team? We've talked about it on air. 
Um, you've you've lauded his uh, yeah. accomplishments, and certainly off air, we've talked about it quite a bit. Um, and Larusa has had some rocky moments this year, but please, you cannot argue. You can't argue with sure. success, which is kind of what you were saying uh, or at the beginning of this. You can't argue with success, and so hats off to you and Tony Larusa. You guys have had a great first half. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Bart. Um, I think that uh, I just felt like a number of the reasons, not just you, but a lot of people in Chicago media were dismissing him. I just didn't feel were uh, disqualifying. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've, I've watched Tony LaRusso for a long, long time. You know, he is one of the best managers of all time. Certainly questioning whether he still had it is, is was, will be legit. But he's he's done well, and he has um, a good team. And I think the one thing that I was hoping to see out of him that I saw, especially out of his St. Louis Cardinals teams, was just his ability to move players around. And it seemed like whenever St. Louis lost someone, someone else filled in. Um, I always liked the way he used the bullpen. Mm-hmm. Um, so these were things that I was remembering from 2009 and hoping, wow, that would be great if he could bring that to the South side and for the first half of the season, he has so. totally. And that's a great specific to hang your head on Anth, because if you would have told me that Aloy Jimenez was not going to play that Luis Robert was going to play just a little bit. Uh, and then in the course of the season, you're going to lose your uh, maybe number two veteran leader and your catcher, Yasmani Grandal, as well as your young second baseman, Nick Madrigal. That's four regulars, two of that's which you were lot. counting on to be stars and Grandal. Not a star, but a huge, very important veteran. So if you're going to tell yeah. me you're going to lose those guys and still go 54 and 35, I'd be a jackass if I was going to criticize Tony LaRusso at this point in time. Proof's in the pudding. And we know, we all know, you're not a jackass, Bart. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Anth. Uh, yeah. You know, we've still got to see it through, and I, LaRusso has sure. made some some definitely quantifiable errors and perhaps has cost them games this year, but... What's not quantifiable is how many games he's maybe helped them because of what you said, because of how he can shuffle in new players and all those unquantifiable things. And again, the most quantifiable thing is the record, 54 and 35. So that's awesome. Yeah. And again, we're halfway through. Um, A lot can happen from here on out. But if you're in the White Sox position, you know, and you start hearing that Eloy is, is cleared for baseball, is Robert cleared for baseball? So Eloy actually has played a couple games at AAA, so he's coming, and it was Robert who was just, who was just cleared. Uh, that might be him calling in right now. Um, so, <laughs> uh, so yeah, they're both coming. Uh, Eloy's if he's already planned a couple games in, in AAA, I'd imagine he'll be here hopefully within a week or two. And Robert was just cleared yeah. for baseball activities. Grandal, we're we're told, is not out for the year, and maybe we'll get to that catcher position in a minute. Um, but he's out for at least a couple months. So maybe September he comes back, maybe. Um, uh, and then Madrigal is out for the season. But yeah, you're going to get a couple of those, you know, a couple of those guys back. Um, this record is great, Anth. Uh, I did want to go a little bit deeper with you. So coming out of the All Star break, uh, this uh, we're releasing this uh, recording on Thursday, releasing Friday morning. The White Sox uh, tonight, Friday night, start a three game series at home with Houston, Anth. Then they'll play. I think it's four against Minnesota. Minnesota always a rival, but this year is pretty horrible. But then after that, they have a series with the Brewers. So I really Anth, want to watch this first uh, these first three series, uh, and particularly the Astros and Brewers series, because while fifty four and thirty five, a six hundred uh, six oh seven winning percentage is awesome, uh, they've played eleven games versus elite teams so far, um, and those elite teams 
uh, are the Red Sox, uh, Tampa Bay, and Houston, and they're four and seven there uh, against those teams. Um, and then if we uh, the rest of the 500 teams they've played, they're 12 and 17 against the other teams that are over 500. So overall, uh, it's a four uh, 414 winning percentage against 500 or more teams, and then 780 winning percentage, 38 and 11 against sub 500 teams. So no criticism from me on that. You got to be, you should beat the teams that you're supposed to. Sure, but you're not going to play those teams in the playoffs. The bad teams. No, I think that's an excellent point. You know, and and that's the thing. Like, that's what looking a little bit deeper does for you. Um, the, those are legitimate uh, concerns. Yeah. yeah. Um, but that's legit. You know, that record is great. But looking at who they've played and understanding that in any sport, uh, when you play the top teams, you know, the bar is raised and you have to, you have to. Um, rise to the occasion sorry to use raise and rise like that i feel like i should have been a little more uh creative but um i think that's key so i think looking at those first nine games that's a, a good target for us all right well that'll be the white Sox. we'll keep a good eye on them um it'll be neat to see Anth. we'll keep an eye on jimenez and robert hopefully coming back and the pitching has been the story the starting pitching has been just tremendous for the Sox. that's what you know and, and pitching doesn't slump as they say pitching is what you want in the postseason as well so um, it'll be fun to watch these White Sox. And it seems uh, like they've got a pretty deep bullpen. Yeah, the Sox bullpen has not been as good as advertised, but it's been good. The starting pitching has been way better than advertised. And what's the thing to watch with this team is, I mean, Rodon and Lance Lynn both made the all-star team, and those were guys – certainly Rodon was your fifth starter at the start of the year, and now he made the all-star game. Right. Lynn was supposed to be maybe, your, I think, your third starter, if you're slotting, if you care about that, um, because Giolito and Keiko were the two best. And uh, and now, you know, uh, it seems crazy, but a Giolito or a Keiko or certainly a Dylan Cease, a guy, another guy who's pitching great for them, all five starters, a couple of those guys, at least one of those guys is going to go to the bullpen in the postseason. But we'll have time to talk about that once we get there. Yeah. Uh, Cubbies, Anth, 44, right. and, 44 and 46. Um, before that 11-game losing streak, they were 42 and 33. But that 11-game losing streak just has taken all the starch out of this season. Um, they went from a first-place team or a game or so out, but while they were losing the 11 in a row, I don't have it in front of me. Milwaukee had to be every bit of 9-2 and two because Milwaukee is now uh, eight games ahead of the Cubs. So Milwaukee just on a roll while the Cubs I think are Milwaukee won. I think Milwaukee won 11 in a row. Okay. While the that, Cubs were losing on that a losing makes streak, Milwaukee was on a winning streak. Right. That makes sense because there's been a total uh, you know, total dominance in the standings at this point. We've hit the year where all these guys, and we've talked about it for a couple of years now, where they're all coming up on their free agency year at once. Chris Bryant, Javi Baez, uh, and Anthony Rizzo all going to be free agents going into this offseason. And uh, they're going to start trading off. Um, those three are prime candidates to be traded, I would think. Uh, Craig Kimball is ta- widely talked about as the number one target for playoff contending teams. Uh, Kimball, I believe it's a team option for next year, so they wouldn't have to trade him the way you maybe have to trade those other guys. But how wouldn't you want to strike when the iron's hot? You don't need an all-star closer uh, when you're going to be out of the playoffs, I wouldn't think. The idea of trading those guys off the way they traded off you, Darvish, of course, uh, in this past offseason uh, for young players, I'm pretty sure that's what, if these trades happen, that's what will happen for young players whose names we don't know. Um, but how do you feel about 
any of those three being traded off. I assume you're okay with Kimbrel. Yeah, I feel like that's just a good move. Um, and whatever you can get for him, you know, hopefully it's youth. And you can look at a couple of players and think to yourself, all right, if they're not ready for the majors, they're close. Uh, to me, I'm all in on that. Um, right. with, with all praise and appreciation for what Kimbrel has done this year, he's yeah. uh, he's been eye-poppingly good. As far as the other three, it's a tough one. Um, I'm kind of an emotional guy, and so it's it's hard to let go. There's a part of me that just thinks they're not going to get rid of Rizzo. And it's it's not a pure baseball production reason. Mm -hmm. I just think he's the face of the franchise. So personally, I would be surprised if they didn't come to an agreement with him. I want to stop right there for a second. Sure. So I, I, I agree with you uh, with a lot of what you said, but I want to push back for a second. Sure. So Rizzo um, is the face of this franchise. I would think you would want to bring him in for some of the reasons that you just talked about. But I'm going to question his leadership a little bit. The the fact that he's been vociferous uh, about not getting his COVID shot, uh, I think shows a lack of leadership, and he's valued for his leadership. Uh, the Cubs have still not hit what baseball has uh, decreed to be the 85% vaccination rate. So you look at him and Jason Hayward as two veterans and leaders on this team, the fact that they've said they won't get it, are they allowed to say that? Of course, but that's not exhibiting a lot of leadership in my mind. Um, and we've also got the, the idea of leadership came up again uh, this uh, past week when Wilson Contreras, the fourth member of what's left of the core, I would say, because Schwarber's already gone right. and Russell's already gone. Um, Wilson came out and uh, basically, basically kind of ripped his teammates. Uh, I'm guessing a lot of our fans listening to the show may have heard that um, or heard about it. But uh, after a game right before the break, he talked about a lack of effort and, and support from his teammates. And he actually singled out Javi Baez. He said, I don't expect everybody to play like Javi and I. Um, so you, you wonder what he's, who's right. left to be talking about. And you wonder if a finger doesn't point it at Rizzo a little bit. So uh, I, I guess I just want to push back on you. Um, I, I hear what you're saying about Rizzo being the face of the franchise and kind of a titular leader. But uh, a couple of those things, I, you know, I don't – maybe – Maybe you want to rip Wilson for what he said. I don't know if that's the right thing. I don't know how much he talked to his teammates before he went to the press either. Um, I don't know. So what What do you think there? I'm not convinced. Like you said that Rizzo has been vociferous about anti about not taking the vaccine. I, I wouldn't use that word. I feel like he okay. answered a question. Okay. And I feel like when he answered the question, the media made it seem like he was vociferous. But he answered the question. Um. I don't believe that that decision, uh, and I could be wrong here, uh, is affecting his leadership. As far as Javi and Wilson go, I wouldn't look at him saying personally that that saying no one we can't expect everyone to play as hard as Javi and I do, as that then casting aspersions on every single other player. Right. I don't know. I, I get what you're saying, and I certainly think that those are are points to question. But I still feel like I don't feel like there's been any uh, diminishment in terms of how Rizzo is looked at by his teammates personally. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and we can't know for sure. I think you make a great point about uh, he was answering a question when he talked about the vaccination. Um, I just think that he, he's, you know, if, if this is a 
an idea, a chance, opportunities to show your leadership, this would be one where you could show your leadership. And Javi and Wilson uh, have actually made PSAs um, in support of getting vaccinated as well. Personal choice, but uh, for, for Rizzo not to step up and do that um, doesn't reflect well in my eyes, but you're right. It may or may not carry currency in that clubhouse because that's where it's important. You know, bottom line, I'm glad we talked a little bit about some of these off-field things, some of these more nebulous things. On-field, these guys are just not as good right now as we hope they'd be. Chris Bryant is the only one with what I would call uh, a very good slash line. He's hitting 270, 353 on base percentage, just fine. 502 slugging, great, good. You have to trade him. You have to trade him because you can't let him walk away for nothing, right? He's and he's going to walk. And he's going to walk. Yeah, I agree. I, be, I believe there is a one point five percent chance uh, that he will sign with the Cubs. I and that's that's me. That. That's me yeah. being conservative. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> and so and Javi, you know, just again, as and we've talked about this, I don't want to beat a dead horse. The fact they're in a position, the Cubs, as big a team as they are, with as much money as they have behind them, and how much revenue they're generating, uh, the fact they should have to choose between Chris Bryant or Javi Baez, or maybe neither. Is ridiculous, but that's where we're at. But Baez, 238, uh, batting average 284 uh, on base. So he actually is walking a little more than usual, um, but 493 slugging. So he's slugging pretty good, but it's just not as great as you thought, but he is still a great defender. I would like to see them re-sign him, but I agree with you. It might not be Chris Bryant, and uh, and Rizzo's numbers are starting to go down. Let me give you one more slash line, Anth. I don't like to throw too, too many numbers out there to our listeners, but I'm going to give you one more slash line. You ready? 331 yeah. batting average. 384 on base percentage, 585 slugging percentage. Yeah. That's really good, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Who is that? Nick Castellanos. Nick Castellanos is a better hitter than any oh of these guys gosh. on the team. He's a much better hitter than any of these guys on the team. For sure. And, and that's a big problem. Uh, you know, we always talk about Hayward. You know, Hayward, his signing, that signing probably blocked getting Bryce Harper, which maybe that wasn't so bad. Harper hasn't exactly lit it up with the Phillies. But I think it also blocked trying to keep Castellanos. And a couple years ago, Theo Epstein noted that the offense was broken. He acquired Castellanos at the All-Star break from the Tigers. And all the guy did was be the best hitter down the stretch a couple years ago for the team. And there was never a thought about re-signing him because there really wasn't a place to play him. Well, now a couple years later, he's the best hitter uh, of all these guys. And I think he'll continue to be. No, he is an impressive hitter. Uh, Got to see him when the Cubs played in Cincinnati not too long ago. He was impressive when he was here. Obviously, he has fielding shortcomings, but I think you got to have a guy like that in your lineup. And I just, I think Hendrick, or sorry, Hayward has just really hurt the Cubs. I mean, he's he's a remarkable fielder, and he has leadership abilities, even though he's not getting the vaccination either. (laughs) Right, right. Um, But you can't. I just don't believe you can have a consistent contender with a guy who is just so below average at the plate. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, you know, uh, as we wrap up with the Cubs, Anth, you know, the, the, it seems like the, the scuttlebutt in the media is, you know, and among fans is, is this a total rebuild or is it one of those rebuilds on the fly? Obviously we hope it's not a total rebuild. You and I and Ted and everybody else, the lifelong Cub fans, bought into what Epstein and Hoyer did uh, some seven or eight years ago where they took uh, a pretty poor team and made it horrible and they stripped it down and they didn't sign okay veterans. They just wanted to lose, lose, lose. And there was a purpose behind it and they got high draft choices. And uh, 
I, I just I think it would be an incredible shame if everybody if all these guys got traded off um, for seventeen year olds like we did Hugh Darvish and we're supposed to say okay we'll contend again in twenty twenty five that wouldn't be right in my opinion I hope that's not what happens I hope they pick and yeah choose. you have to be able yeah you have to be able to look at what you get back and see that these are building blocks um, and that's the thing that's where I feel like uh, things have changed I feel like in the past if you uh, traded uh, Baez or a uh, or a KB that you would get some players that either you'd heard of that were young young players or people who would say oh they these are their top prospects it just you know with the U Darvish trade that really changed you know those are kids who have to be what three four five years away from the majors yeah exactly exactly um, so so okay. that's that part has changed and when I hear people talk about Bryant I hear the same kinds of things that you're not going to get. Uh, an organization's top prospects in return, especially for a guy who's a two-month rental player for them. That's the thing. And, um, you know, you might, Anth, get more for Wilson Contreras right now. Maybe that's the move than Anthony Rizzo. Anthony yeah. Rizzo obviously has had a better career, but you look at the position they play, um, far more valuable catcher than first base, and Contreras is signed for another year after this, so that might make him a more valuable commodity to a team trading for him to say, okay, it's not just a two-month rental. I got a season and a half to try to re-sign this guy. Right. And those are the kinds of things that you have to, like as a general manager, you have to think like that. Like if I were a general manager, I would be, I would be trading guys well past the moment, well past the tipping point and getting, cause I like I'm attached to them. Like I love hobby bias. I love watching him play, but can you build a team around a guy who can't get, who can't have a, who doesn't have a 300 on base percentage. Right, exactly. Can you build a team? Can that guy be your star? And in today's game, I don't think so. I'm not sure if he can be your I think there's I think you can still you can still build around him. He's a really great defender at a premium position and he's yep. a great slugger. So there's some tools there, but when the rest of the team is all all slug and no on base, that's where you're that's where you're killed. So you've got to surround he- him with on base guys. He needs to be your sixth hitter. Probably. He would be a great a great sixth hitter at shortstop. Like that, I'd be all over it. Right, right. Your centerpiece of your team, That's you're probably not going to go too far. Well, it is. Unless it he is brings back his past form. Right, exactly. Sorry to interrupt. No, no, not so. at all. It's just, you know, it, it, it's going to be, uh, <clears throat> could be ugly. You know, David Ross has done pretty well under some extremely trying circumstances since he became manager, and it's not going to get any easier as they go through this sell-off in the second half. And, you know, I don't expect them to bottom out. That said, if they trade uh, Kimbrell and if they trade Chafin, who's been terrific also, um, you usually don't win games without a bullpen. So I, I don't know, if, you know, this team – could they head for 20 games under 500? You know, hope not because that wouldn't be very fun to watch, but it might be the best thing uh, for 20. I, I just, I've written this season off, Anth, but I just don't want to, you know, I want to say that there's going to be hope for 2022 based on what Hoyer uh, can do and not we're building to 2025 for a good team again. Anth, before we wrap up baseball, uh, well, let's move away from our local teams. We did have the All-Star game this past week, and um, this was a, a point um, I was listening uh, to the score, and a lot of the hosts were complaining about the All-Star uniforms. And even before that, uh, I think I think our friend Ted uh, came through with a text on the text stream talking about how awful, even before I turned the game on, how awful yeah. the uniforms were. Um, the issue with the uniforms 
actually, I think they looked okay. I wouldn't mind wearing one of those uniforms. You're, it's idi- it's idiocy in terms of trying to sell the game, Anth, because I don't know all these guys. These are all-stars. I don't know all these players. At least I could look at the game and say, oh, there's some slugger on the Rangers. He's on the Rangers, so I maybe can watch the Rangers now. I don't. You look at these yeah. guys, I don't even know who they are because of the uniforms. No, I agree. Um, I, I feel like it was a it was a bad move. I think one of the coolest things about the All Star Game, you know, and we are men of a certain age, but Correct. you know those classic pictures of All Star Games where you see, you know, Willie Mays, Hank Aaron, and Mickey Mantle, you know, in their own uniforms side by side. I mean, that's what's kind of cool is you're bringing all these teams together. Each each city, uh, each team is represented. And, uh, and that's what I really liked about it. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely opposed to it. So you're blowing up tradition. You're thumbing your nose at that, what you just made an eloquent case for. And then I'll go a step further. I agree with you 100%. And then I'll just say, it's the marketing too, stupid. Like, guys, we're, you're trying yeah. to sell us this game. And I don't know I don't know these players. And this is a prime chance for me to get to know them. And now I've just got this guy in this white uniform. Um, there was even, I guess, uh, Marquez, I believe, the reliever for Colorado. Don't know who he is. Uh, came okay. into the game, apparently, uh, in course uh, State. He didn't get an ovation. <laughs> he didn't get an ovation. Yeah. And then they announced his name, and then they were cheering. Because they didn't even realize who it was sitting in the stands. Because he was in a different uniform. <laughs> that's crazy. Jeez. Like, that's, that's the story right there. You don't really have to say much more than that. So I went through Anth. I, I this caused me to do a little research, and I asked you to do a little homework, which I know you did. I looked at the All Star rosters, and I'm uh, 53 years old, so I'm not the prime target of these marketers. But I'm still a baseball fan. But admittedly, right. I don't follow it like I used to. When I was younger, I used to know all the players, uh, most of the players in the league. Forget about the All Stars. I knew right, most players for sure. in the league. And so I just looked it up, Anthony. I'd be curious where you fell. Uh, I looked at these rosters. I don't know all these players. So I was looking at the box score and then the entire, uh, you know, the entire rosters for the American League and National League All-Star teams. Um, I, I did really well with the AL starting lineup. I did pretty well with the NL starting lineup, too. I know most of those guys. But overall, just looking at the players, I knew 14 out of the 21 position players for the American League. Just 14 out of 21. There were seven guys. I didn't really know who they were. And pitchers, I was five and four. So overall, uh, 19 and 11. Uh, I knew who they were versus I didn't really know who they were. That's really too bad. And if if that's the case, and if I'm a pretty good fan, not a great fan anymore of the game, uh, you put these guys in their own uniform so I can at least have a chance to learn who they are. National League, I was uh, 16 and 4. A little better with the uh, National League, knowing the position players, and just five and five with the pitchers. So that's, I think that's a shortcoming of, of, of Major League Baseball, honestly, that I don't know who those guys are. Uh, I'm making my knowledge their problem. I'm curious who, how much you knew of the rosters. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's very generous of you to make yeah, your yeah. lack of knowledge their problem. Hey. Um, I didn't break it down as specifically as you did. And I didn't you know, ask, you, yeah, know, no, you gave no me this homework. You gave me this homework assignment yesterday, and then I forgot to do it, and I did it right before class. Um, so I just did a check mark. If I if I knew the player, I put him on one side of the page, and if I didn't, I put it on the other. And it's about a two to one ratio, I would say, by looking at my check marks. Uh, so two thirds of the players I knew, and one third of the players either I had no idea who they were, 
or maybe I heard of them once, but if I couldn't, if I couldn't identify their position or their team, then I, I couldn't say I knew them. So <laughs> right, I would say exactly. pretty close to your 14 out of 21. Yeah. It was a two to one for me. Two thirds okay. I knew, one third I did not. That makes me feel a little bit. I thought you would actually do a little better than me. Um, but yeah, okay. So we're in the same boat. So then I thought, Ant, let's take it back 30 years. 30 years to uh, when, of course, all the players were different. Everything was different about the game 30 years ago, right? Pretty much. Right. Yeah, not everything yeah. though, because the the uh, much, yeah. the the, man, the manager was Tony Larusa of the All Star Game uh, thirty years ago. But other than that, everything else. Is <laughs> <laughs> well um, played, sir. <laughs> well played. And that was that was when Tony was just mid career. I think he was he was already he was with the A's still maybe in ninety one, but he was not That's a young funny. manager back then. Uh, anyway, I look back thirty years ago, and that by the way is not the prime even of my baseball. Uh, fandom i'd say for me and i'd be curious i'm gonna no, ask you the same question nor I. Yeah. okay so my prime probably like when did i really know the most i'd say um i'd say mid 80s curious when you feel like you were really i mean because you know i'm not talking about cubs or Sox. i'm talking about you know the whole league when would you say your prime now so what am i eight I'm, years older than you right so I think that's interesting because uh, I would say my prime was like 75, 76. Okay. So about nine years earlier, but our ages. So we were at similar ages when we were at our prime. So we knew the most, for yeah. me, I would say the peak was the the bigger Ed machine, the 75 and 76. Mm, yeah. I think I was probably most focused. Okay. Yeah. So, so I'm, we're going to go, you know, that's what, uh, 15 years later for you uh, and about uh, a good seven or eight years after my prime is the 91 game. And I just picked it because it was 30 years ago. And I looked at the rosters, the all-star rosters from 30 years ago. Uh, I was 29 and one in both leagues. I I knew, and my criteria was, do I remember these players pretty well? Can I say something about them? And do I know many of them, of course, played with many teams, but did I know the teams that they were most maybe known for playing on? And I was 29 and one on both rosters. What were you, what did you come up with in looking over the rosters from the 1991 all-star game? Well, it's cool the way you asked me to do it. So I did the current one and I'm checking yes, no, yes, no. Right. And then uh, it was much easier for the 91 game. I just scrolled down. I was 30 for 30. But that's pretty amazing. Yeah, so, but it was just kind of cool, like how quickly I was able to do the ninety-one. I'm just right. like, I know them all. Exactly. No, 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 no. Exactly. No. Yeah. So, and that was thirty years ago. So I think it's that's kind of odd that we have to that thirty years back, not necessarily in the prime of our baseball knowledge time, we knew all the players. We still remember all the players, and we don't know them all today. Not sure what that says. Yeah. All right, Anth, it's NBA time. Who would have thought I would have saved this for second segment, but uh, but I did. Uh, game four was uh, played Wednesday night, and your Bucks beat my Suns 109-103. Yeah. I say that because you identified the Bucks as a team that you thought was going was gonna to go to the finals uh, when the playoffs started, and, and moreover, a team you were rooting for. Um, I didn't identify the Suns at all as a favorite of mine, but I'm I'm uh, I've been captivated by, uh, captivated by them. I can speak. Yeah, and I, I hope that they I hope that they take it. So, uh, but your Bucks took it over my Suns, one hundred nine, one hundred three last night. Uh, the first quarter, the Suns were up. It was a kind of a game of runs in a way. The Suns were up by three. The Bucks really did not play well in the first quarter at all. Second quarter, the Bucks won by three, so it was tied at half. 
And then the Suns were up by six. They won the third quarter by six points, I should say. And in the fourth quarter, I think they went up by nine, but then the Bucks had a great run, and the Bucks ended up uh, winning, I think, by nine points or so. Uh, they went on a run. Actually, they won the fourth quarter by 12 points for the final margin of six. So great job by the Bucks. Uh, Amp, what uh, what allowed your Bucks to take it last night, do you think? We got the Chris Middleton game. We did get the Chris Middleton game. I think the key to that, having watched a lot of playoffs, uh, the key to that was even when Milwaukee wasn't playing that well, they stayed close. Yeah. You know, they battled. They kept it as a game. Uh, they never let... Uh, Phoenix get too far ahead, so it was always within reach. Um, I think the fact that Milwaukee can go to a a Middleton um, instead of their number one guy, Giannis, down the stretch, that's a huge thing. That's kind of rare in the NBA. Yes. Um, So, obviously, Middleton, he outscored Phoenix 10-4 to down the stretch. Mm -hmm. You know, so you got to give him uh, really great credit. And then I think the other thing down the stretch – and it's uh it's always a conversation, you know. Was it the Milwaukee Bucks defense? Like in some cases, it was obvious that block by Giannis. Oh people are going to be talking about that for years and years. Spectacular! Where that Booker down two, Booker did something I've been looking for. That you know there was a lot of isolation by Phoenix. He drove, put a beautiful alley oop to Aiton, and Aiton was ready to throw it down as he's been able to do all playoffs. And Giannis just met him at the rim. Spectacular. And that was just a remarkable defensive play. But there were also some key turnovers down the stretch. And so was that good defense, right? bad offense, or a combination of the two? But uh, for whatever for whatever you want to say, you know, depends on your perspective, Milwaukee came up with some huge stops and Phoenix made some really big turnovers. And, and that allowed Milwaukee to go ahead. So they kept yeah. it close. They made big plays down the stretch. They got turnovers down the stretch, and Middleton got hot. And that was cool to watch. Yep. My man got up 33 shots last night, Amp. Uh, (laughs) 15 out of 33, and it was warranted. And, you know, I questioned at the start of these playoffs if you were going to have a problem with Giannis. And Giannis has played better than I thought. I mean, God, we thought he was out for the playoffs when he had that horrible collapse against Atlanta uh, just a couple weeks ago. And look how he's come back. Amazing. Amazing. but I thought there was going to be a problem with his shot selection and as well as with his free throw shooting. And at least at home, he's kind of found a level with that uh, free throw shooting. It's okay. I mean, four out of eight last night is not exactly lighting up, but he was spectacular. Uh, I think 13 out of 17 in game three from the line. Now we'll right. see how it goes when he goes back to Phoenix. But um, but he's also, Giannis has made, he's made so many adjustments to his game. One of the main ones is he's gone to pick and roll um, as opposed to just beating the ball into the ground um, and, and not leaving his teammates any anywhere to go on offense. So I love that he's now more of a facilitator and also setting picks for these guys. And it's it's making for much better offense. And, you know, Giannis is, is their best player, but Chris Middleton is their best offensive player, in my in my opinion. And so I I think that's good that the Bucs do it that way. I want to stay positive, and I'm going to have one negative shot at some point in this harangue. But uh, positives, I love how the Bucs responded to really a must-win game. For I mean, sure. just, you, you, can't, you can't say they couldn't win the series at 3-1 going back to Phoenix, but you didn't want to do that if you're a Bucks fan. I would say two must-win games. You're right, exactly. And that's why that block by Giannis, again, was just so incredible. And that's why sometimes the hyperbole from the announcers is like, ugh, because I think it was game one, which was a Phoenix blowout, 
and wasn't I think it was game one and Giannis did have an awesome block in that game right. like when they were down 18 and, and and I think it was Van Gundy it was either Van Gundy or Jackson uh was comparing it to LeBron's block on Iguodala a couple years ago it's like come on man don't do that like you know but this while it wasn't game seven like LeBron's block this kind of was a game seven in a way for Milwaukee it was a must game and must win and that was just so awesome that he did that it was absolutely a game seven atmosphere for Milwaukee um, and and situation is so clear. You can't compare a block by anyone to LeBron James if the right. game's out of hand right. or if it's the first game in a series because that's not what LeBron did. LeBron came up with the play right. at one of the most intense moments, and that's what Giannis did. And here's the thing, man, in, in being a basketball fan in 2021, if you heard about this block and you're like, and then you watch the replay and you're like, oh yeah, that's really good. You should see how people broke it down. It is unbelievable. Like in the moment, I was out of my chair. I was blown away. Yeah, yeah. But here's the thing. He he first flashed on Booker. So right, right. uh so Aiden set the pick. He flashed on Booker, and then and then the second he saw that Booker was alley ooping, he went back towards uh, Aiden, and they both got so high up in the air. Yeah, it's absolutely spectacular. There are some slow motion replays mm. on Twitter that you should check out. Okay, because awesome. frame by frame, it shows you what a remarkably remarkable athletic feat it was in such a high pressure situation. Exactly, and I was out of my chair because I was like, "This is what we need for the Suns. We need Booker to throw this oop." And Aiden's yeah, throw right. Out. I was just I was excited about the two points I was counting. Of and course, it was, it was in the bank, and then Giannis, that was awesome. And Giannis so, even said he thought he was going to get dunked on. <laughs> he, he did not mind getting posterized. So um, I'm really struck, Anth, and we've ta- we've texted about it. The lack of depth on these teams. It's a little weird to me that it's kind of three on three. Um, I have no idea what I mean. PJ Tucker, good lord, man, how can he play 29 minutes and only get up one shot? I know he's trying on defense and he's got some wonderful facial expressions, but um, <laughs> Drew Holiday. Could there be a t- more of a tale of two games? Drew Holiday Anth might have played the worst offensive game I've ever seen in my flipping basketball life. He sucked last night on offense. He and did. my man played unbelievable D against Chris Paul. And unfortunately, that's where I'm going to go negative is on Chris Paul. You cannot have that game, Chris Paul, last night in game four. But Holiday, let's stay on him for a second because I know he's been a focus for you and I on past shows. Right. I don't know what he was doing on offense. I mean, it was like, if you shoot two out of 10, Amp, that's horrible. So is your answer if you shoot two out of 10? Okay, two out of 10 sucks. What I'm going to do, I'm going to I'm gonna, I'm gonna shoot four out of 20 because I think what I need to do is shoot more shots yeah. at that same percent. I mean, maybe will he shoot 20 out of 100 at some point in a game? Uh, I just couldn't believe how bad he was. He couldn't make a layup, but he played such great defense. Oh, that. He played amazing defense, and the moment where I realized just how bad it was is he got this offensive rebound, and then he tried to immediately flick it up. It had no chance. I'm like, he was so out of rhythm. He was um, shooting layups like Giannis shoots three pointers. It was really yeah. bizarre, <laughs> but, but but he, he continued no. defense. And in the last few minutes, he did he did make big plays on the break. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he got followed by Booker, which should have been Booker's sixth, but uh, Giannis followed. Uh, <laughs> that was an amazing play. Uh, Mike Breen, who's a great announcer, um, 
you know, announcers have to be kind of, you know, somewhat neutral right down the middle. And it's the play, it's the color men who can, right. you know, say their mind. And Mike Breen was like, and and Booker fouls. That's his sixth foul <laughs> in the course of the play because he was like, I, come on. I mean, he tackled him. It was an intentional foul. He fouled him four different ways. That was pretty weird. And obviously the refs were like, well, we're not fouling Booker out tonight. Clearly. Yeah. We were in a, we were, I was with a few different guys and someone, uh, one of, uh, Dave Allen said, how do you not call that foul? And Frank Barber said, because Booker had five fouls. <sighs> I don't, you know, Booker, as great as he was, and I guess we'll, we'll leave Drew alone, but but just obviously awesome defense by Holiday. He played a hard defense all the way. Uh, he did make his free throws too. Uh, was he 4 of 4 or uh, Drew Holiday? 5 of 5 from the line. So, okay. Yeah. But, yeah, that field goes. Holy cow. So, Devin, so Devin Booker, Anth. Devin okay. Booker, incredible game, but uh, stop fouling. Stop it. I mean, he, he you know, he, he committed his sixth foul, and then I think he committed his seventh foul. Right. Um, <laughs> stop fouling. You have to stop. And, and you know, it looked like, the, you know, that he fouled. When he fouled Tucker, it's like, are you kidding me? You have yeah. to, like, give an engraved imitation for, for uh, Tucker to shoot the ball. Don't foul him. For sure. So, so, but I don't want to criticize because now, Anth, I'll shut up and I'll let you throw some plot at Devin Booker's way. Uh, because, oh my goodness, uh, seventeen out of twenty-eight from the field. Yeah, uh, seven for game. seven in the third quarter. Oh. He was just before he had to sit when he with too many fouls. What a what a job by that guy. That's the thing, and and they sat him like I think it was inside six minutes before he came back in the fourth quarter. Correct. Um, that's really hard in a game like that to have someone that hot have to sit. Um, you know, but the people I was with, one of them was saying, well, they're going to keep him on the bench as long as they have the lead. And I'm like, okay, but they could be stretching the lead here. Exactly. Exactly. And, and he still, he played 38 minutes, but, um, you know, uh, Budenholzer has been justifiably in my mind criticized for the lack of not playing his big guys enough. He played Middleton and Antetokounmpo, uh, 43 minutes. If, uh, Booker could have played 43 minutes, that might've been the difference in the game right there. It absolutely might've been, you know, and, and Booker has to look at that, you know, um, in a, especially in the playoffs where they're not calling fouls as much. Right. You know, you're still getting five fouls. My man, they gave you eight. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Chill out they a little bit. So I want to ask you, uh, yeah. because we've gone back and forth um, on this show and off this show with Ted about Chris Paul, CP3. Yeah. Um, and my take on him is when he is on, he's as good as anybody. Like, he is unbelievable in his ability to control a game. Right. I've never seen anyone dictate a game like he did game one. Like, he just right. sought out the matchup he wanted, right. got it, and just burned him. So, and again, this is that offense-defense thing. So, um, is it that Milwaukee adjusted? Is it that Chris Paul didn't step up? You know, my fear last night was, oh, it's Chris Paul time. And as much as Milwaukee gets back in the game, he's going to do his magic, get his little short jumper, yeah. and 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 keep Milwaukee from getting over the hump. But but he made turnovers. He looked human. Yeah. So what was your take on that? He With just played. He played lousy. He got a lot of help by playing lousy by Middleton's. Uh, excuse me by uh, Holiday's great defense. So I do want to give credit to Holiday, of course. But you just Chris Paul, you know. 
the media, you know, we just go crazy all the time. You know, it's like Janice has these two huge games, and all of a sudden he's taking a seat at the table with LeBron exactly. and, and right, Michael. Yeah. Uh, Chris Paul maybe is the greatest point guard of all time. Right. I, I hope Magic Johnson and Isaiah do not – it just didn't have their televisions on when that was going on. <laughs> you know, I mean, he's wonderful. Yeah. He's a, he is a wonderful. Hall of Famer. He is a but Hall of Famer. Point, greatest point guard of all time? And, and I'm telling you, when he's on – Right, he's like very few players I've ever seen. Right, Which, of um, course you don't have to say that about Isaiah and Magic when he's on, because right. they just were always on. Um, exactly. Chris was, I mean, so you know, plus minus is a tough stat, Anth. It, it honestly though, it's it's just hard because it's it's about matchups, but it does tell a story. Uh, you know, Middleton was plus ten last night, uh, the best plus, other than Connaughton, who was an outlier at plus twenty one, and we can talk about that a little bit, but. Connaughton played a really nice game, so I want to give him kudos. I don't he know. He did. He played his where, role very well. Yeah, yeah. Where the very well, where the plus twenty one comes from, I don't know. But but Middleton of everybody else uh, had the best plus minus at plus ten, and Chris Paul was negative ten when he was on the floor. Um, you know, Lopez also negative thirteen. Lopez just has trouble uh, playing defense and staying on the floor, uh, even though he's a talented player. But but Chris Paul, he earned that negative ten uh, plus minus. He just wasn't good last night, and and he. he He's limited. Holiday did everything and took so much away from him. Milwaukee made an adjustment um, by switching a little less. There was still a couple of times where uh, our, our, our guy, bug-eyed Bobby Portis, got out there. And, man, Phoenix <laughs> Phoenix just jumps all over themselves when they're ISO done Bobby Portis. But that was happening a lot more in game one. Um, it was kind of like uh, – it reminded me of the Bears. Uh, weren't the Bears last year running that special D where they would uh, find the – you know, the, what's, the, what's the guy on the Packers, the, the greatest receiver? Uh, Devontae Adams? Yeah, we, we were just falling all over ourselves trying to get linebackers isolated on Devontae Adams. That's what it felt oh, yeah. like with the kind yeah. of defense the Bucks were playing against Chris Paul. So they, they, they limited some of that switching. They, they stayed, found a way to get Holiday to stay on him more. Um, Chris Paul, he does like to go to the hoop, but he could not go to the hoop at all last night. So you took away a big part of his game right there. He could not go to the hoop for whatever reason. I don't know if he didn't choose to. If I don't think Holiday just gave him the option. He just wasn't going to get there uh, with a pick and a shovel. Uh, Holiday was just keeping right. him out so much. So it just became reduced to only the jumpers, and the jumpers weren't going. Um, he might be hurt, and that's the story of Chris Paul again. Um, he's, yeah. he seems to always get hurt, whether it's a hamstring. I think he's got hand injuries right now. So I'm sorry. Um, you know, uh, Giannis looked like he was ready to undergo surgery uh, two weeks ago on his knee, and he's out there. So whatever. I, I You know, Paul, I don't want to criticize a guy for being injured, but I think that's a part of it. But so I'm just gonna I'm just gonna play the results. I'm I'm not gonna speculate too much about the injuries other than to throw that a little bit out there as a possibility of why he didn't play as well. And I'm just gonna say 36 minutes, my man. You got to come up with more than 10 points. And you yeah, know your turnover sure. assist ratio, uh, seven assists but five turnovers. The, it it was great defense by Holiday and a lousy game by Chris Paul. Yeah, so a lousy game right there. And and I think that is most often the answer to the question. It's a combination of the two. But what I heard in your analysis is the adjustments that Milwaukee made. Um, and I, the question I have going back to game one, like I'm not an NBA coach, but I watched that game and, and Milwaukee had to see what Paul was doing, but yet throughout the game, like it's one thing if Paul's getting isolations against Brooke Lopez in the first quarter, but right. if he's doing it in the fourth quarter, like, shouldn't you, it, Shouldn't you be able to adjust within the game? Like clearly, you they made should. an adjustment from game one to game four, or Correct. let's say from game one to game two to game three to game four. But in that moment, I was like, "Why aren't they doing something?" 
it was an extreme example of uh, of a strategy, and that is in game ones, coaches often just want to play their game and know it's a seven game series and be able to adjust after that. Really, so you play your game, you see what's out there, and then you adjust after that. It's dangerous a little bit because you might lose a game because of it. In this case, uh, you know, I think that's especially going to be accentuated by the fact that Milwaukee was the road team, and you usually the home team wins game ones. So right. they might have just thought, let's just do our thing, let's play our game, and then we'll adjust off of that. So I think that's – I'm not saying it's a great strategy, but I think that's why – that's what happens there. So that's a thing? That's a thing. That's really interesting. So, yeah. Like yeah. I've been following sports for a long time. I didn't realize that that was something that, that people understood about playoffs. And and that is taking the, the long view, like it's a seven-game series. Right. Let, let's feel this out. Yeah. And they and clearly so made the adjustments. Factors. Yeah, and, and Budenholzer is probably more uh, loath to adjust and, and want to stick by his guns than most you know, anybody this side of Tom Thibodeau as well. So you have to factor that in too. He's going to be slower to make those adjustments, but uh, but he at least he has. And now you're at two two. Yeah. Do you have a visceral feeling without researching it? Is it weird that there's just three really good players on each team? I mean, you know, of course, let's, let's not let's not nitpick. I know that uh, what's his name, Brooke Lopez, is talented, and and uh, and actually, we saw way too much of Jay Crowder as a Suns fan for my pleasure. He seemed like the second best player on the team last night, and that's not a good situation. But in general, this is Chris Paul, Devin Booker, and DeAndre Ayton against uh, Middleton, Giannis, and Holiday. Is that weird, or is it usually like that? I don't think it's that I don't think it's that unusual like maybe yeah. not every year but um you know like I think what happens is you have stars and then and then there are games where people step up so Macal Bridges stepped up I believe in one of the early games I think it was game He did two. he did he's a classic example just like Bobby Portis who played well in game 3 the the, mar- right. the that's the key to home court advantage it's it's you get better calls from the refs true and you also get the marginal players feel much more comfortable and they're going to hit their shots at home versus right. on the road. But I think that's happened in the playoffs for a long time. I think Correct. that you you have your core stars and then then players step up and 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 play. You know, I think if you compared the starting fives here to starting fives of other championship teams, you know, you might see a drop off after the 3. But I don't think it's uncommon to have like the main stars and then a rotating cast of players that that step up yeah probably not i just don't know why it's jumping out at me so much and i just feel like you know pj tucker oh christ and you know uh and and but he's there for a reason he's there for a reason and he's doing exactly what they they got him for yeah especially he really did put good effort against Kevin Durant. He didn't stop Kevin Durant, but that was a great matchup for him. Unfortunately for him, Phoenix's strengths aren't in front court score, aren't in forwards. Like that's his specialty is locking down all these great wings. Um, and that, you know, Phoenix is of course guard and center driven, but he's, he's, he's doing his best against Paul and Booker for sure. Um, but anyway, I don't know. I just wanted to ask that you're, you're probably right. It probably is more common. Um, I just, I, the lack of depth, the fact that these teams only go eight men deep, um, you know, and, and the, the Bucks eighth man last night was Jeff Teague at 11 minutes. So he was only marginally playing. So it was almost like a seven man rotation. Um, yeah. um, all right, Anthony, let's close with, uh, so now it's two, two. I want to give you a couple things I'm looking at for the rest of the series. And then I want you to do the same for me. So, um, can these guys continue to maintain playing great 38 to 43 minutes a game? I'm, I'm going to watch that because that's not yeah. a given because maybe they're going to wear down a little bit. DeAndre Ayton, 
only three of nine last night. He was he was a man on the defensive board. Sixteen rebounds last for night. Sure. That guy was unbelievable. Sixteen defensive rebounds, but only three of nine for the field. You got to find a way to get him more shots, especially if Paul's not going to be great. More more baskets because he was an offensive force. He was scoring 18, 20 points. So I'm going to watch that. Um, I'm going to watch Aiton in particular, uh, and I'm going to kind of see where Middleton and Holiday level out. I don't think Middleton will continue to score 40 a game, obviously, like he did last night. I don't think Holiday can possibly be that horrible from the field. So no. maybe that's going to be the key for Milwaukee is those guys finding a center uh, of their game and then supporting Giannis because both of those guys can be more important offensive players down the stretch than Giannis, and then Giannis – can do things like that block shot and stuff like that so um, yeah and i mean uh in the third game holiday had a very good game mm-hmm. you know he played an all-around game and you know hit some threes so i i definitely expect his performance to go up um i kind of feel like uh phoenix is gonna win game five okay um i feel like they were is it possible that the home team's just gonna win out in this series i think it's definitely possible right yeah um, I think it's definitely possible. Um, you know, I'm rooting for Milwaukee. Um, so in my scenario, I, I just think Phoenix is, is, is playing well enough that when they're at home having lost two in a row, I just feel like they're going to have a bounce back game. Okay. And so much of this is kind of bounce back and momentum. You know, someone was asking me, were you confident in Milwaukee, even when they were down two Oh, I'm like, well, and it's, you know, you and I texted it. It's all about game three. Yeah. Like if they win game three, then yeah, it's a series again. Right. If they lose right. game three, it's over. Yeah. But yeah. Were they out of it down 2 0? Absolutely not. Right. Um, so my guess would be that home court rules. And then, but I do think if you get to a seventh game, all bets are off. Fair. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so. But that's what I some think. Crazy stuff is so. Yeah, uh, sorry to cut you. It's, it's just so th- these games are so intense. So even if I'm saying I don't know if these are going to be these are the greatest teams of all time, yeah. I don't think they are. I don't know if I've got a transcendent transcendent superstar in this series or not. But I suppose Giannis is in a large way. But but he's but he's a very flawed transcendent superstar. Uh, that's a mouthful. But um, I just also want to recognize just what a pressure cooker these games are. These guys are playing so hard, and the competition level is maybe what's the most fun to watch. And that's why I agree. Criticize Chris Paul and criticize the unbelievable offense by Drew Holiday in this last game. They are playing hard. Paul's got to step up and play better. Hopefully he will. Hopefully he'll physically be able to because we've seen him not do it in the past. Um, But I'll say this. like We talk a lot about the old days and how things aren't the same. Um, Last night's game, that was old school playoff basketball for me. Like Every trip um, up and down. Like every trip was battling, every trip was contesting. Anyone who says they don't play defense in the NBA anymore should watch that game. Yeah. Anyone who says they don't try in the NBA should watch that game. Right. Like that was that was flipping fun. I had a great time, and it reminded me of some of my favorite series in the past, um, yeah. of just the intensity and the competition. And and really, as a fan, the older I get, like that's what I want. I want a competitive battle. Exactly. And if my team doesn't win, I'll be okay. But I just love watching them just go at it like they did last night. And the energy and the commitment was uh, was really fun to watch. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. So I agree with you. And as, as we wrap up, I I think your Bucks are a weird, a little bit of a weird team, and that's that's great because they they play so hard. I I don't th- I 
as I as I kind of wrap up my feelings, I don't think they're very good offensively. Uh, they have, I think Middleton <laughs> is an amazing offensive player. Sometimes I don't think they have even an idea of what they're doing out there on offense. But but they play hard and they play great defense. Yeah. And they don't quit. And, and when a guy like Anthony Kupo is adjusting his game, you know, real quick, I heard one stat uh, from somebody on ESPN that I thought was really cool. And that was that uh, Sabonis on the Pacers and, and Jokic touched the ball, I think I heard this right, like 30 times a game more than Giannis. Really? And you think about that, that's really weird, right? And I had to think about it, and I think the reason is because so much of the time, Giannis is beating that ball into the ground, dribbling, dribbling, dribbling. There's not enough touches right. on the possession, and guys like Sabonis and particularly Jokic are popping that thing back right. and forth, so they're getting more touches and involving their teammates more. So now that Giannis is adjusting a little bit and not dominating the ball so much but setting picks and stuff like that, it's helping. But Bucks I are think a that's team. They are a weird team. That's an amazing adjustment, putting Giannis as the picker in the pick and roll. I love that adjustment. But they are a weird team. And to go back to Charles Barkley earlier in the playoffs, he said, I think the Milwaukee Bucks are going to win the NBA championship, but they are the dumbest team in the NBA. <laughs> and awesome. I think I think he's on to something. <laughs> right, They're very talented, <laughs> but they are an odd team to watch. Right, so can they can they win a game with uh, you know with uh, True Holiday shooting six out of thirty? Stay tuned; it, it could happen. We we don't it, it know. Could. It could, but it's <laughs> entertaining, guess. and they're very athletic, and they and they compete. So, yep. but I, it, when he said that, I'm like, those two things can't be true. <laughs> right, the, the, both of those things can't be true. You can't win, win a, a championship, championship and be the dumbest team in the NBA. But now I'm starting to wonder, maybe <laughs> Charles know. was onto something. But we know they they don't you know and Phoenix shouldn't take a backseat and playing hard but because uh, they play really hard but nobody plays harder than the Bucks so yeah. we'll see what happens yeah all right it's fun <laughs> yeah definitely all right thanks Ath we'll talk soon buddy all right Bart thank you all right we really appreciate you tuning in to the return of nuts about um, we'll have some more shows coming your way sometime soon uh, you never know when so. Make sure you subscribe to the show on whatever platform you're listening to it. Know that it's available on Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, iTunes, iHeartRadio, uh, Amazon uh, Music. It, we're, we're everywhere. So tell a friend about the show, too. We'd really appreciate it if you do that. And um, if you look in the show notes, you can email us any, uh, any suggestions or questions you have. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, all that good stuff. Uh, but for now, I'm Bart Steinberg for Anthony Rowe. We really do appreciate you listening and uh, take care, folks. See you soon.